Hello, everybody, and welcome to another film podcast. I'm Tierney. I'm Colin. And I'm Matt. And I'm Matt. <laughs> I'm Matt. <laughs> and I'm Matt. <laughs> uh, I like how the last few times, Matt, you've been like, and I'm Matt. Like a very nice like ending to the little intro. And today you were like, and I'm Matt. <laughs> Like, it's oh all about God. playing with the cadence. You gotta keep them. You gotta keep them surprised. Yeah, keeping everybody on your toes. I like that about you. <clears throat> on Matt's toes only. Yes, exclusively Matt's toes. Like I'm a dad uh, dancing with his young daughter at a wedding, where she's on his toes, and it's and it's like, oh, what a good dad. Okay. That's I me. don't know anyone who does that, but are we, uh, okay. I gotta go. <laughs> every commercial, every Hallmark go. movie. <laughs> I forgot I have something going on today. I'm going to leave now. Bye. Yeah, sorry I'm busy that day. <laughs> You're the rudest. You're both the rudest. Um, so we wanted to start off today's uh, episode of The Pob with uh, some housekeeping. Um, so we've had some good response from people who have listened so far, which uh, we really appreciate. So thank you for um, all of those comments. Um, one of the things that I've had, uh, several of my friends ask me is like, what are our upcoming episodes going to be about or what movies are we going to be covering? <clears throat> so, um, I just wanted to take a minute to point you guys in a couple different directions. So first of all, um, we do have our website. Um, it's just another film Um, and on the website, we typically put up the artwork for a movie that we're going to be covering about a week or so in advance. So um, if you're looking to kind of keep up with us as we go through this this uh, film festival, um, that would be one good place to start. Um, and we usually are trying to include links to where you guys can watch it. Um, almost all of the movies that we've selected are available on some streaming platform, whether it be um, you know Netflix or Hulu or HBO or uh, rental on iTunes or Amazon. Uh, but we try and include that information on the website as well. So feel free to check that out. Uh, we also have a Twitter account, which is just uh, another film pob. Um, we're not terribly active on it currently, but uh, hoping to become more active on that. So feel you know, free to give us a follow there. You know, there's only one way to go, and that's up. So Exactly. We're so I think we literally have a single tweet right now. So. A single tweet. A simple tweet. Yeah. <laughs> And surprisingly, it's in the running for best tweet of the year, I heard. Oh, um, rumor interesting. Happened. Interesting. Well, I don't know. Bless us. <laughs> it's early. It's early, but the, but there are predictions. There are predictions. Sure. Um, sure. But anyway, so we'll probably be posting um, updates on that as well, so you can follow us there. And finally, we do have an Instagram account, which is the same handle, another film pob, so feel free. That one has two posts right now, so... And then the uh, other thing I just wanted to note on that same token, um, today we are going to be talking about Insomnia, um, Christopher Nolan, 2002. Um, We will, uh, next week we will be talking about Nashville, Robert Altman's film. And then the week after that, we will be talking about The Game, uh, the David Fincher film. So, yeah, check us out on our website, our Twitter, or Instagram, uh, but also those are the, the upcoming um, movies that we'll be covering on the pod. So that's all I had in terms of housekeeping. You guys have anything else you wanted to add? Negative Ghost Rider. No, nope, that's on, I think you did such a great job, Colin. Yeah, so okay. good. Well, bless me. Yeah. <laughs> Rumor has it you're in the running for best uh, uh, housekeeping 
of the year. <laughs> I try so hard. That's actually not true. I bought a bunch of cleaning supplies when I was at Target the other day and have yet to use a single one of them. <laughs> <laughs> So. I feel that. <laughs> anyway. Right. Uh, Take it away, Colin. So, yeah. So today is the second entry in our film festival. And the movie I selected is Insomnia. Um, as I mentioned earlier, it's a 2002 Christopher Nolan film. Um, and as Matt mentioned last week, all of my film selections for this, this year's fest uh, were movies that I haven't seen. Um, but they are directed by movie or um, directors whom I love. So uh, Christopher Nolan is one of my favorite directors, and this is one of two movies of his that I had never seen. Um, so I thought that this would be a good inclusion for the pob. Um, we can talk more about Nolan a little bit later, um, but in in, or, in terms of getting us started, um, I thought it would be a fun thing for me to. Uh, kind of intro my thoughts on this movie by ranking the movies of Christopher Nolan that I have seen and then telling you where this one would fit in. So mm. um, I have two rankings uh, of Christopher Nolan films. I have like my own personal ranking, like my favorite Christopher Nolan films. And then I also have like a more quote unquote objectively best Christopher Nolan films. Um, I can give you guys both. And I put insomnia on both. Where, where, what do you want? I want, uh, I yeah, I want, uh, but I want the objective one, maybe. You do, you, okay. Well, I mean, I'm definitely giving you my personal list, so it was more a question of do you want one or both? Oh, I want both. Okay. Because I, wa I want to know what you think is objectively, did you, like, use Rotten Tomatoes? Uh, I mean, sort of, yeah. I mean, I took, like, critical consensus into play, but I was more, mm -hmm. I mean, like, with any best of list, there's always some amount of... Um, sure, subjectivity sure. but i tried to, like my ranking of personal films and the ranking of like quote unquote his best movies is quite different so okay. um, so here's my personal ranking of christopher nolan films sans insomnia uh number one interstellar number two the dark knight rises number three dunkirk number four dark knight number five prestige number six inception Number seven, Memento, and number eight, Batman Begins. You guys can't see it, but Matt and I both have stink faces on. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm uh, very much questioning this ranking. Yeah, system. give us the objective one. Give us something yeah. that we can latch onto here. <laughs> um, so again, this is still some somewhat subjective, but I, I think I try to be a little bit more, um, you know, objective with this one. So. Christopher Nolan's best film, I would say, is The Dark Knight, followed by Dunkirk, followed by The Prestige, then Inception, then Memento, then Batman Begins, then Interstellar, and then The Dark Knight Rises at the end. I think Dunkirk would be number one. I, as I was making that one, I was really close between Dunkirk and Dark Knight. I think, like, most people would probably pick The Dark Knight just because it is, I mean, the the world we live in now in terms of cinema is like very heavily superhero focused. And this is like dark Knight is widely regarded as one of the best, if not the best of all time. So I think that was kind of why I ended up putting that one up there. But I think like dark Knight and Dunkirk are one a and one B in my opinion, Matt has got some thoughts. on both. I've got lists. some thoughts. I've got some I thoughts. I think that in order for the dark Knight to be number one, you'd have to go through it and be like, 
are all these scenes necessary? Does this movie <laughs> need to be three hours long? Dark Knight's I mean, not three hours. It's two and a half. Here's Dark Knight Rises is the one that's like really long and like I stand by putting that at number two on my personal list, but I could not <laughs> reasonably Wait, put is, that. I, Dark Knight is the one with the Joker. Yeah. 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 I mean, I two forty, two and a half. I don't even remember the Dark Knight Rises. I mean, I think a lot of people don't. But okay, here's my thoughts on this list. I think I would rank by cultural impact. Uh, of like the movies that people know Nolan for, sure. Um, and I think those also equal because they were so bold and uh, w- just like well received. But like Memento, I think would be up there in probably the top four. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Dark Knight would probably be number one as far as cultural impact. Heath Ledger as the Joker is like uh, now an icon. Um, and in general, it's probably the only Christopher Nolan movie everyone has seen. Um, I think Inception also is probably pretty high up there, at least for cultural impact of, like, what it meant for a blockbuster to, like, be wacky like that. In my opinion, not wacky enough. But uh, A blockbuster uh, that had, like, some shred of intelligence in the plot? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think, but I I do think Dunkirk, it was pretty well received. So I think that would be probably, I would put it probably at number three <gasps> or two. But also, I don't care about war movies that much. Time, t- playing with time or no playing with time. Yeah. I think so, I mean, the narrative again. structure of that movie is, like, so fascinating. I saw it three times in, in theaters because it blew my mind. Also, it has Harry Styles in it. Yeah, I mean, as listeners of the pop know, this is a pro Harry Styles podcast. I do like people, that each episode. The number of people I took to see that movie and walked out and said, oh, I get it now, really tells you something about that movie. Yeah. I will say, I like that each episode we've done so far has included one of Tyranny's crushes. Like, that we've yeah. talked about at least one Tyranny crush. Each episode, Sorry, so, somehow, it's I'm, Harry Styles is not an insomnia, but we we're made to talk work. about him anyway. I'm I'm failing the Bechdel test here on my own. <laughs> You're allowed to have uh, urges; it's perfectly natural. <laughs> anyway, let's just talk about the movie. Well, yeah. okay. So then, as a segue into like talking about the movie that we're actually going to be talking about today. Um, in my personal rankings list, uh, Insomnia goes in at number seven. Um, I would put it above, like, so right behind Inception, but above Memento and Batman Begins. Hot take. Yeah, that's... <laughs> You're nuts to rank Batman Begins that low. Yeah, that's Batman like, Begins is, a... is so good. Yeah. Look, again, this is a personal ranking. Like, Batman Begins is good. I don't think any of Christopher Nolan's films are bad. It's just that I, if I'm going to rewatch a Christopher Nolan film... And if I'm going to rewatch a Christopher Nolan Batman film, that's by far the last one I'm going to watch. I would much rather watch Dark Knight or Dark Knight Rises way over Batman Begins. And I also like Memento. I've only seen it twice, to be fair, and both times were in college. Um, But I remember the second time thinking, like, yeah, this is still a well-made movie, 
but it's only like holy shit good the first time you see it once you un- like once you know the gimmick of the movie and once you know what the movie is and how the movie works for me it loses steam on subsequent viewings again i've only seen it twice so like maybe my opinion would change if i were to watch it a third time now but um i like I don't need to watch that one again because I remember everything that happened and it's not nearly as groundbreaking now. So, but also uh, in terms of my like quote unquote objective Christopher Nolan films, Insomnia would be number eight, only above um, Dark Knight Rises. My, uh, I just wanted to say that we were talking about, I just, this is a complete non sequitur, but I'm really excited for (laughs) his new movie, Tenant, about a landlord and his tenants that comes out in July. Jesus Christ. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) But not sorry. Matt's just not not even going to respond to that. I'm not going to dignify that with a response. (laughs) I'm like trying to, I'm trying to figure out like a joke or anything that can follow it. And there's nothing. I can't, I can't find anything. It's yeah, just... it's, it's flawless. <laughs> flawless joke. Um, anyway. But anyway, yeah, so, like, to tie it all together and then to finally seed the floor to hear what you guys think, I think Insomnia is a very well-made blockbuster-type movie. Um, I think it's it's got a lot of the stuff that you would look for in a, you know, that kind of film, but I think that it's... <laughs> ultimately just like a well-made movie that i'm glad i saw but probably won't ever watch again fair yeah i don't think i'll ever watch this movie again despite having seen it once before and forgetting all of it i didn't remember any of this movie um but uh i just yeah there's like it's such a space to be in this movie of like an insomnia insomnia riddled guilt-ridden detective in alaska like just everything is so dour and so bummer (laughs) uh my uh do we want to just start talking about it yeah absolutely yeah let's dive in so part of this was like i don't know how much of this is like because i also didn't realize that there was an original that takes place in norway but like there are some things about the movie that i liked but i also was like is this meant to be a thriller or a detective movie oh my god my voice keeps cracking (laughs) and the main thing that i realized from this movie is how much i dislike al pacino as an actor (laughs) yeah (laughs) to where like every time he was on screen i was like oh wow he his partner i wish him and his partner switched roles so that he shot Al Pacino, and then oh my the God. other guy was the whole movie. And some of yeah. it is his character, I think, but like, just him being like, it's like, come on, use your yeah. voice. And his loose love- pants billowing everywhere. I couldn't. I couldn't. I do love, like, one of the first things I thought was the weird delivery uh, in like the first five minutes. When, like, the plane goes through some turbulence yes. and he goes, there goes my lunch. I and made... you're like, what was that? Yeah. <laughs> what was that line? I made a note of that because I was like, A, crazy delivery. B, <laughs> when someone says they lose their lunch, it usually means they've barfed. But he doesn't they've barf. So I'm wondering, up, yeah. does he just shit himself? <laughs> no. No. 
<laughs> you know that's up. not what it is. Oh my god. Slipped I mean, right if he bubble. did shit himself, he like really played it off smoothly. You know, like if I were to shit myself Uh-oh. in front of one of my coworkers, I'd be like, oh, oh god, what just happened? Where he's just like, yeah, I'm Al Pacino. I just shit myself. Sorry about it. Yeah, but like, you probably are, aren't wearing, like, parachute pants where you take a step and the poop just falls out the bottom. Oh, my God. <laughs> We've already started talking about poop when we're not even that far into this movie. <laughs> the whole time, uh, I really just wanted to be watching Wind River. Oh, uh, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, so, oh, the thing I was going to say was that uh, Pacino's shit-eating grin like anytime he delivers like his little <laughs> funny comebacks particularly when he says one thing to hillary swank and hillary swank is like do you want me to write that down and he's like no nah, i'll remember it and then he just as he's walking off screen is just <laughs> smiling to himself like i'm so funny and i was like this is actually kind of delightful like it's like this old detective who like makes himself laugh <laughs> <laughs> Again, would have been way better if it was the other detective. No, I don't like that guy. <laughs> I like him. He's got the eyes of somebody that like says, you know, I, I don't, I just don't believe you. Like, I never want to talk to that guy. Damn. Interesting. He's got those eyes. Um, the other thing that so, would you guys say it's a thriller or a detective novel, or a detective? Uh, story? It's both. I would say both. Mm, I didn't feel very thrilled. So here's the thing. Here's an interesting thing that I definitely want to talk about is that it's so different from a lot of movies like this because um, throughout the movie, he just becomes more complicit in this cover up. But really, the movie itself, uh, I think, is closest to the prestige in that. Um, it the entire dynamic of the plot is uh, Robin Williams and Robert De Niro, or not Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, the same guy. Uh, Al Pacino, very, very different. I can tell you that Just I like... adore Robert De Niro and hate Al Pacino. Um, anyway, Al Pacino, uh, just planting evidence on each other, and like the entire movie is about evidence, and each of them knowing what the cops are looking for, how they're going to find it, and how they could set up the other person to take their fall, um, which is similar to The Prestige in that it's all about one-upping each other in The Prestige. And so, like, there's not really a thrilling plot because you're watching him try to get the other guy and then the other guy trying to get him. And so it's like cat and mouse, but it's a weird cat and mouse because they're not actually chasing each other. Uh... Yeah, that's all I have to say about that, and we could talk about that more. Well, I, think, I did think that uh, was like an interesting take on the detective novel. Uh, I yeah. definitely walked into it thinking it was going to be, or I keep saying detective novel, detective story, thinking it was going to be him like cracking the case, and then it, and then it wasn't, and I was like, okay, I could get on board with this, but there's some things where it feels like forced. Yeah. Like, why is there an L.A. detective going to Alaska? Why not make him just FBI? That's, I thought, I mean, so, like, the whole conceit is that, um, like, the the captain of the local police up in Alaska used to work with Al Pacino in oh. L.A. 
so he he like brought him up as a favor but i also like i agree with you that never really made sense to me either like i i don't know the justice system like well enough but like that doesn't seem like something you can do like i i don't know but like can you just be like oh i'm an la cop but i'm just gonna fly up to alaska to solve one of their murders real quick like is that a thing i don't know it i i I completely agree with you that it would have made more sense if they were fbi agents or whatever and they had some sort like you know like oh we're a small town in alaska we never have murder cases we need to bring in the big guns to help us solve this one because it like it all just felt so bizarre like why were these men there yeah that was yeah that first time that they hint towards like the ia investigation and like what is happening in los angeles while they're in alaska i was like pretty lost yeah and i was like wait so what so they asked to come up here and now like when they get back there's like an ia investigation that's gonna nab both of them one of them just al pacino um and then i was like well it'll get clarified as the movie goes on and then it like (laughs) didn't really it was like still pretty vague about like exactly what the hammer was that was about to come down um but it sounded like it was related to the case with the planted evidence right so yeah yeah. i mean so i was i agree with you in that when they first mentioned that at the beginning i was like what the fuck is happening (laughs) like like that whole conversation between the two of them where um his partner is just like hey, man, I'm going to testify or whatever. Mm-hmm. And Al Pacino, like, freaks out and just, like, leaves the dinner. And, you're like, that whole sequence, I was like, what are, what is going on? I feel like we got a satisfactory, re- like, resolution to that. Like, I think you're right. So I think the, the way I read it is that um, Al Pacino definitely, like, he admitted to planting evidence in the um, child murder case. Mm-hmm. But I also kind of read it as, like, that was one of many times he right. he did this. And yeah. so his partner was going to, like, give an interview or, like, testify or whatever. Not necessarily naming Al Pacino, but, like, sending IA on Al Pacino's trail. In which case, like, if he were under investigation then all of the people that he had like planted evidence against or maybe had planted evidence against would walk free. And so I think he was just Mm -hmm. kind of like, no, this can't happen because then all these people that I know are guilty, like this, you know, child molester slash murderer will get to go free. So I like, I agree that it was kind of confusing up front, but I do think that like we got the answer to that. And so that was one thing that I kind of liked and it, it reminded me a little bit of um, Knives Out in that way. And, like, Knives Out is a much better movie than this, like, without question. But um, the way that Knives Out is kind of set up, like, this mystery whodunit, but you figure out fairly early on who did it. (laughs) Like, you figure out pretty quickly, Mm -hmm. like, what happened. And then the rest of the movie is, like, dealing with, like, all the fallout from that. And so I feel like this is kind of similar to that, where it's, like, it started it starts off where you're in this zone of like okay we've got to figure out who murdered this girl but then about an hour into the movie about halfway into the movie like robin williams calls and basically admits to doing it and you're like oh okay so then the rest of the movie is that kind of like it's a different take on 
like a mystery and i think that's yeah. to me that's more where like the thriller comes in because i'm like i was fairly interested in seeing like how all of that played out and i thought especially like the final sequence where they were at his little like summer cabin was like really intense um yeah. i thought that was really well done so yeah to answer your question from a while ago t i think it was i think it was both like i think it started as a mystery movie or mystery story and then kind of evolved more into a thriller but so in I, neither case was it a traditional one of, of one of those things i thought the ending was intense but i think that was more a craft of nolan's filmmaking than any absolutely part of the writing i thought like the writing of this story kind of left a lot to be desired and that mm-hmm. there were like it was it was like a nice enough story but it was kind of loose to where it could easily have been tighter i thought of uh i also had similar it's funny you mentioned knives out because when i watched knives out i was like is this supposed to be a satire or is this supposed to be an actual whodunit because if it's a whodunit it's not a good one but if it's a satire (laughs) i can get on board with it and this one i actually had a few times where i was like is this supposed to be kind of making fun of detective things I don't know. Oh, I don't think that at all. I think, like, uh, a I maybe I like this more than uh, any of us, but, like, the chess game and, like, how you build two characters that understand evidence and its importance in different ways. One, a cop who's done this for a long time knows what they're looking for because he's part of it, and also knows what he's planted that's worked in the past. And a crime novelist who understands what they're looking for because he writes about it. And understands uh, the dynamics of murder in a different capacity. And these two intelligent and dangerous people having to kind of play with each other back and forth. Uh, and I think that dynamic is like... I didn't find it to be uh, like a a satire of that genre, but actually like a an exploration on like what is a what is like lawful and what isn't, mm-hmm. like what is good and where does that cross the line into like evil and how can they both be manipulated for their own means, uh, and in that way it felt Nolan-y. It felt very psychological, and yeah. I think psychological is like the main kind of thriller this is so it's not so much like a police or investigation but like the psychological impact of uh guilt and of uh like wanting to make justice happen despite the end justifies the means like he calls it out himself Mm -hmm. um and like how far are you willing to go to like solve a case um so i think that stuff felt actually serious and like it was just uh, an exploration on stuff that hasn't been really explored before. I think that what you're describing is exactly what I wanted it to be, but I felt like between Al Pacino's uh, performance and the fact that Robin Williams was the other guy made me feel like it was supposed to be a joke. <laughs> like when It Robin is two older men running and it was like why did they what is the choice for older men to be these characters right and specifically those older men 
like Robin Williams is a comedic actor and everything I've seen him in, you're supposed to like him. So when he came on screen, I was like, oh, fuck Al Pacino. I'm with this guy. <laughs> and then you find out like he's also crazy. But like between it being Robin Williams, who like in my mind is like funny, likable character and Rob- and Al Pacino's like <laughs> character, I was like, is this a joke? Because I wanted it to be the psychological thriller that you're describing, but I kept feeling like it wasn't. Anyway, that's it. Hmm. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I'll I stop re- talking. No, 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 no. You're a third of this podcast. <laughs> um, I I can definitely see where you're coming from, and I think uh, generally you're right. Like when when you see Robin Williams on screen, if it's not a, a straight comedic performance like he did so many times, it is a likable performance. Um, I personally, I think he was one of the best parts of this movie. Um, yes. I did not, I did not really care for Al Pacino's character, um, or the performance really. Um, I think the only time Al Pacino's character started like actually working for me was like at, towards the end when it's like, oh, he hasn't slept in five days. So this at least kind of explains whatever the fuck choice he's making as an actor for this character. Like, oh, this finally comes together a little bit. But um, Robin Williams, I felt like he knew who that character was from the minute you're introduced to him over the phone. And then it just continues to play out once you get to like actually meet him um, as a person. And once you get to kind of like follow him around, um, I, I was really impressed with Robin Williams and I know that he did do more dramatic stuff. I just stuff that I never saw. Um, so this was really like the first time I saw him do that kind of thing where it's like, Oh, you're very much playing against type and it worked really well for me. Oh, you should see one hour photo to be fair. Like he was really good in it. And he was between the two of them, the one that I was kind of rooting for. Yeah. Only because, I mean, they're both terrible people, but he <laughs> had such a, like, their characters are terrible people, but he had such a better performance in it, and his whole thing is, like, hoodwinking people into thinking yeah. he's not evil, and, like, he did such a good job that I was, like, on his side, which is, like, <laughs> really bad, but also Al Pacino was really bad. <laughs> <laughs> I yes, I agree with that wholeheartedly. <laughs> I feel like they should have explained how he was able to run across all those logs like that. Like Robin Williams is not a log runner. So like why I thought but if that you was move fast. You can do it. I I won so th- maybe. <laughs> I agree. Like it was a weird thing, but I also thought that that was just like part of like I mean, I've never been to Alaska, but you know, like the the idea that Al Pacino's character has literally been there for like three days and Robin Williams' character has been there for at least a year, but, you know, probably longer than that. I took that as just kind of like him being like, okay, here's a way that I I can get away from this situation that I don't think Al Pacino... Like, yeah, it was weird, sure. But I mean, like, I with any chase... It. Well, right. I mean, like, it was a great chase, but like... With any chase sequence in a movie like this, halfway through the movie, like the killer has to get away. Like you can't let the killer get caught this early on. And that seemed like as logical a way as any given like the setting. I, and, and I don't know. Oh, mate. No, I think it, the actual setting was amazing. Yes. I think Robin Williams speed running across he was logs. Never speed running. He was, I mean, he was moving 
with a clip. He was like, but the faster you run across a log like that, the easier it is because if you stay on them, they'll spin. But if you go, I know, but it's like, that's it's Robin Williams. Like, yeah, everyone can run really fast across logs, but like to have Al Pacino jumping over a fence chasing down robin williams and then having robin williams <laughs> zoom across moving logs rushing down a river is a weird choice when you've chosen to make both characters over 50 probably one over 70 because pacino looked very tired in this movie i wrote down an alternate title for this movie it should just be i'm so tired an al pacino movie uh Going off of setting, though, that was, like, my main note, is that it feels like like the use of setting within the story, it's not just a backdrop for the story, but it's incorporated into the story, and I think it's done very well. And, like, yeah. even used, like, in the log sequence as, like, major plot points, or the fog uh, mm-hmm. earlier, that, like, it is a very Alaskan story. And it's, like, every shot is, like, I just want to go there. For real, I was just like, oh, this I felt beautiful. <laughs> opposite, hard opposite. <laughs> this only cemented in me that I never feel like visiting Alaska. I have no interest at all. Huh. Okay. Well, that's at all. <laughs> to each their take. own, you know. <laughs> yeah. And I'm uh, the one who liked this movie probably most, and I'm like, and I like it because it's a horrifying place that I never want to go to. So what a great setting for this story. <laughs> Um, I did think like it was, I, yeah, to your point T, I think it was really cool the way they like wove the setting into it. Like, mm-hmm. um, I think like the, 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 uh, guilt that you were talking about, Matt, I think is really interesting because <laughs> there's the, uh, because the whole sequence at towards the beginning takes place in that fog, Mm-hmm. You know, and like Al Pacino's character says it at the end. He's just like, I don't know anymore if I did it or not. Like, I, I can't tell. But like, the because there is that fog there, because there is that like natural environment that they're in, you could you could see it going either way. And the way they shoot that sequence, you, you could, you know, you could make an argument one way or another. So I really like that. Um, I also thought it was fun the way um, like in that first sequence in the fog, like, I thought it was weird that the camera kept focusing on his feet, like, as he was yeah. running over the rocks. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I thought it was a really fun payoff when then that happened again on the, the logs. Oh, and yeah. And he slipped through the logs. I was like, oh, that was a fun... Because, like, when I first saw it, I was like, this is a weird choice. Like, I get that he's running through rocky terrain, but, like, just have, like, a, you know, a shaky camera and I get the same vibe. So it was weird to me that they were doing that. I didn't uh, even But I catch thought that, that that was a fun payoff later. I didn't catch that either. Look at you, Colin. Matt, you're all you're all about set off setups and payoffs, Matt. How did I? Catch I know one that you didn't because I'm stupid. Yes, accurate. <laughs> I'm a stupid little baby. Oh my god. Speaking of <laughs> of feet, can I just also say, and this is maybe one of the last bad things I'll say about Al Pacino. Oh, I think I know where you're going. Are fucking his fingernails disgusting? It's no, awful. The whole I literally I, I wrote, was like. <laughs> Like, I almost threw up. It was like, why, why did they even I, put that in the frame? I thought of you every single time his hands oh. were on screen. I was like, Tierney has to be hating this right now. And, like, 
I didn't think his hand, like, his hands were weird and gross, but, like, every time you could catch a fingernail, I was like, yes. what the fuck is this? <laughs> like, oh. I noted, my first note that I wrote down was Al Pacino's fingernails, because when he is at the office one time, it looks like they're, like, little potato, like, Fritos, they're, like, thick and brown, and oh, I was it's... like, what's on his finger, oh, that god, that's just his fingernails. It's awful. It's, it's, so it's bad. I'm sure he's a smoker. I'm sure he's a smoker. <laughs> And that's actual smoker hands? Yes. Those uh, were not prosthetic hands, Tierney. <laughs> Why would they be prosthetic hands? Fingernails? Prosthetic fingernails? Why would they do that? <laughs> How does that add to the character? <laughs> I'm looking up Al Pacino hands. <laughs> yeah, I definitely thought of you, and every time oh. they were on screen, I was like, get them off screen. Nobody wants oh. this. <laughs> Guys, they're real. Yeah. <laughs> of course they are. <gasps> oh. I can't believe you're surprised by this. She's well, so just, offended like, right now. Oh my god. Stop it's it. Like, Put your phone away. One hand is like, they're all purple and long, and the other one, they're like <laughs> Frito chips. Ugh. Oh, I hope nothing's like wrong with him. I'd feel bad if it was like a disease <laughs> that he had. I like that we've come full circle. Tierney's like, I hate I th- Al Pacino, but now she's like... Oh, poor Al Pacino. <laughs> and, uh, and his weird it's more just fingers. that I won't. I won't continue to make to make fun of. He's seventy-two years old. His girlfriend is thirty-two. Oh boy, Terry, put your phone away. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> I wrote. I also wrote down just his delivery of the words. Garbage bags was yeah. very funny. Yeah. Garbage yeah. bags. So here's the weird thing. Uh, I have like basically no attachment to Al Pacino as an actor. Like I have seen. I also don't. Yeah, I've seen like. (laughs) I don't either. (laughs) (laughs) We're the worst with this movie. I've seen very few of his like iconic roles. I think I saw like parts of Scarface once, and I was like, "Why do people like this movie?" (laughs) Um, But anyway, like the thing that you know about Al Pacino, even the one time. Yeah, it's, I mean, whatever. Maybe I'll see it someday, but probably not. Um, But, like, the thing you know about Al Pacino is that, like, he dials it up to 11. And uh, I thought that it was fun that most of this movie he's not dialed up to 11. But then that sequence where he's, like, at the dump or whatever, it's just like, oh, shit. Like, he's fucking insane right now. and screaming about garbage bags and, like, threatening this one girl's life by driving into a semi-truck. Like... All of that shit, I was like, what the fuck? Like, this is a totally different movie and a totally different person. What's going on? When they edit away from him as he, like, swerves away from the truck and he goes, I moved over. And they cut immediately. I was like, that's a pretty good joke. That's a pretty good (laughs) editing joke to just to assume what the rest of the conversation was and then see it in the garbage landfill. Uh, Uh, I, I, I think I did like his performance in this. I think he was like convincingly tired because he actually was um and the moment in the police station when they like do the montage of like noises and lights that are like throwing him off and making him feel crazy and hillary swank is like a detective and he turns towards her with the look of like huh what Uh, who's here what's happening i was like oh shit he looks like he's hallucinating he's like very tired looking yeah well i thought it was fun i think towards the end of the movie uh robin williams's character like specifically says that he's so strung out yeah (laughs) just not sleeping (laughs) i was like well you know i don't do drugs but if that like 
it seems like it's a similar effect and you know probably al pacino did a lot of drugs at some point in his career so like maybe <laughs> maybe it was good casting if this if what they were going for if like extreme sleep deprivation is akin to being strung out on drugs then you know maybe al pacino was the right casting move here but i i'm still on tyranny's side it didn't work for me <laughs> also like if it was the light that was bothering him why didn't he just like tie a bandana around his eyes like i can, there are so I many things he could have done that i was like come on i can understand yeah. i can understand if he couldn't sleep because of the guilt but if he couldn't sleep sure. because it was so bright it was like i cannot believe that a hotel in alaska where this is like a yearly problem doesn't have blackout curtains like there's more no... tyranny does not believe in it she will not put them up <laughs> yes my cousin I, guys. Like, I just <laughs> like hotels that i've been to in the continental united states have blackout curtains there's no mm-hmm. fucking way that one in alaska doesn't have blackout curtains i just don't believe that at all and also i like how he waits till the very last day to like start putting up like because he puts up like that paper or whatever like the, just the tiny fucking bla- like uh you know cover that doesn't do anything but like he waits until the last day to start like stacking up couch cushions and stuff i'm like dude do that from jump like what are you doing yeah. like <laughs> i did that in my parents basement in. when i right <laughs> i was like when i was a kid and i was watching movies in my parents basement and there was too much light coming in through like the little like window thing i'd like shove a couch cushion up there like guys but, it's but not it's, that fucking hard but is it the light that's keeping him awake or is it his guilt it's well that's what Tony was saying the yeah. insomnia i mean like they definitely <laughs> jesus uh they definitely want you to think that it's his guilt but the way it's shot and framed it's that it's not <laughs> like it's not his guilt it's or i mean yeah. i don't know i i just like the whole him not being able to sleep because of light situation didn't make sense to me i just couldn't buy it yeah another reason i was like yeah i will full stop not go to alaska i don't <laughs> want to be an all-day light and i definitely don't want to be an all-day night and it and was it March reminded me or, or september for what the mosquitoes no thanks i when i visited reykjavik it stayed like pretty bright blue until 11 p.m at night and never got darker and i felt like i was going to jump into a void like i felt so out of my mind not being able to see darkness at night i can't imagine what i would do in alaska i think i'd like eat a caribou live just like screaming and naked i I couldn't do it like in Ireland, it doesn't su- the sun doesn't set till like ten in the summer, and I'd be like walking to the bars, and it's like broad daylight. It's pretty. <laughs> but then, great. did it get dark? Yeah, eventually. Yeah, Alaska not getting dark at all is like but, chaos to but me. But half the time, I'd be going to bed while it was still light out. Like if it was a week a weeknight, because I'd be going to bed at like nine thirty. <laughs> Right, because I'm not crazy. I would stay up until it got dark, and then it would be fine for me. I wouldn't mind that. I would take a long, 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 long bright day with a short night. But to have no night? It sets for like 20 minutes in Alaska. It's not entirely. Also, depending on where they are, it is probably closer to an hour. What do they call Alaska? McKinley's Folly? What is that? 
Is that what? Or McKinley? What? What are they? When when McKinley bought Alaska, uh, didn't they call it like McKinley's Folly, because they thought it was such a stupid purchase? I don't know. They should just give it to Canada, who deserves it. But if you think about uh, it, where they are in Seward's Alaska... Folly, Seward's Folly. I see. Not is, McKinley. Is Secretary of State up. William Seward. Thank you, Colin. And now everyone on the podcast have learned a little bit about American history. Look at us go. <laughs> Teaching the masses. <laughs> um, I, I, I do think uh, this is... Guys. Easily... Oh, what do you I looked it up. Got? So... I don't remember the name of the town that they're in, but they mentioned that, like... Night... Nightmare. Nightmare. (laughs) Nightmare (laughs) Alaska. What is it called? Night Mute. M-U-T-E? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if that's a real place or not, but... I'm looking it up to see if it's a real place. It is. Um, Okay, hold on. All right, okay. while, she, while she's so looking gonna, that up. <laughs> yeah, you say what you're going to say. Um, it's definitely, like, the least Christopher Nolan film. I think I wrote that down, yeah. There are parts of it that are Christopher Nolan. Like, they're, like, especially at the beginning when they're, like, just getting into Alaska. And there's those, like, wide shots of the plane uh, with just, like, the background mm-hmm. of Alaska. Like, all of those, I was like, this is Christopher Nolan. This is, and, like... This was, you know, 2002 before he was shooting things on IMAX, but I bet, like, if he were to rewatch this now, he would be like, fuck, I wish I could have shot some of those sequences <laughs> in IMAX. Because, like, those shots are beautiful, and those shots are very Christopher Nolan. And I think what you mentioned earlier is really um, accurate, too, that, like, the psychological elements of this movie are very Christopher Nolan. The, like, quote-unquote twist at the end is very Christopher Nolan. I think there are some like shots that reminded me a lot of Christopher Nolan, like especially the first one where Al Pacino's in that, um, that alleyway and he like sees the dead dog, which like, by the way, was not into that. Like I couldn't tell what it was. It was a dead dog. And then he looked like an ape costume. It didn't look great. Sure. But like, it was a dead dog. Then he shot it later. And then he was like digging around in its dead body. And I was like, I'm out. Have this be like a fucking moose or something. <laughs> it doesn't need to be a dog. But anyway, um, that first shot where he's in that alleyway and it's just like him between two buildings and kind of like a silhouette of him more than actually like him. I was like, oh, mm-hmm. this is like a very quintessential Nolan shot. So like there are elements of this movie that are Nolan, but it's like by far the least Nolan movie. Um, yeah. And Tierney looks like she's ready to drop her thing, but I would like to go on oh she's still going okay um so one thing i think is interesting about this movie is that like this is a really interesting turning point in terms of his career because i think it could have gone one of two ways from here um so it makes sense that this is the least christopher nolan movie because this is the only movie that he's never he didn't write or at least co-write like he Mm -hmm. had nothing to do with the writing of this movie he was just a director and this was his first like real studio film after he did a couple indies and so it's like it's really interesting to see that his career could have gone one of two ways like he could have just become quote-unquote the next spielberg where like spielberg is like a iconic director but like spielberg doesn't usually write his own stuff right like spielberg usually takes somebody else's script and just like 
shoots it and, Ruins it. and makes it so much better and makes it so much better <laughs> i don't want to like dive into a, another iteration of why spielberg sucks but i do think that this is like a really interesting turning point because at least back then that very much was like a trajectory that a, a young director could go on or would go on as they would like do their own thing at the beginning to kind of make a name for themselves and then they would just be like subsumed into the studio system whereas like nolan did like he was subsumed by the studio system his next movie after this was a fucking batman movie but he did it his own way and like everything after this is now like he writes it he is like a full auteur within the studio system so i think this is like a really interesting like you know sliding doors type situation like his career could have gone one of two ways and i like oh my god am i happy that it went the way it did because <laughs> i think if the, if like nolan's career would have been more of this type of stuff which is just like competently made stuff that is good but probably like forgettable um that would have been a real shame or he could have been like fincher oh that's interesting that's true because he's a perfectionist too i didn't uh, even yeah i was you're right fincher is definitely the better comp here because especially because they're both fairly like they're contemporaries more or less yeah. I, I mean i don't know i think we could talk about fincher's career when we talk about your selection uh in a couple weeks but yeah. But yeah, I think he's an example of a of a non-auteur writer director that has established kind of his own distinctive career yeah. around other people's material. But I think you're right that instead, I'm so glad that we got a Nolan that wants to make strange uh, experimental narratives. Yeah. All right. But Tierney, it's, I was it's just going to add to that and say that uh, even his superhero movies have a strong psychological thriller to them. Absolutely. Uh, with like fear and all of that um but anyway so i was just looking it up night mute is the same latitude as anchorage about it's i think maybe a tiny bit south um anchorage at the moment so we're like mid-may right now a month away from the summer solstice uh and the sun is rising at 5 23 a.m and setting at 10 29 p.m so you know you get a fair bit of nighttime there uh but uh, it says that between June 8th and July 5th, so two weeks on either side of the solstice, you have 24 hours of daylight or civil twilight, meaning it does get darker. It just doesn't fully get to night versus like further north in Fairbanks. You have, I think, 70 days of civil twilight. But all oh. that to say that unless they're filming and that this takes place in that one month, they would have nighttime. It probably did get filmed in that one month in those two weeks. <laughs> Drop the mic, T. You out. <laughs> uh, my other, my last note about this movie uh, is I just want to point out that two things. Uh, the victim's boyfriend looks a lot like Justin Bieber. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and, <laughs> accurate. <laughs> and also, I think it's funny that her name is Kay Cannon, which is very close to K.T. Cunn yes. Cannon. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I spent the first half of the movie trying to figure out if her name was Kay or Kate. And I had like a really hard time figuring that out. And I was like, yeah, granted she's been dead the whole time, but like, she's still an important character and I can't understand what her name is. That seems like a problem. But once I figured out her name was Kay Kincannon, I immediately made the same connection that you did. <laughs> also, also pretty close to Kay Cannon who wrote Pitch Perfect. Yeah. It is Kay um, Cannon. Oh, that's her name. Not Cun Cannon. No, no, no. 
KT Concanon is Mad Max. Oh, sure. Yes. Her, her middle name is, is... T-Con. So her full name is <laughs> KT Concanon. Yes. Her first name is K and her last name is Cannon. I think the weirdest yeah. thing that came out of this podcast is us finding out that uh, George Miller is <clears throat> a huge insomnia stan. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were Do- serious the- for a second. <laughs> Doof the Warrior was originally going to be played by Al Pacino. Oh my god. I would yeah. I would watch him be a Morton Joe and get his face ripped off. That was wow. a joke. Wow, you hate joke. Al Pacino. It was a joke, guys. Got to have me my Dunkachino. <laughs> Y'all remember when he did the Dunkachino commercial in Jack and Jill starring Adam Sandler and Adam Sandler? This is not a Jack and Jill. This is a very uh, anti Jack and Jill podcast. I should have put Jack and Jill on my list. I, maybe I'll change Ugh. my uh, selection. We'll watch Jack and Jill and talk about it instead. I hate you. <laughs> They're locked in. Sorry, can't can't do anything about it. No changes. No at changes one, at all. At one point, it's funny because Jill sweats so much in bed Stop that it. there's oh an outline God. of her body. Oh. Why have you seen this movie? <laughs> I saw it in theaters. Oh my Why god! Why did you see it in theaters? I see a lot of dumb shit, so like, I mostly don't have ground to stand on here. But like, come on, man! I got to see. I had the privilege of seeing the Dunkachino Al Pacino commercial oh. on the big screen in all of its glory, uh, and it was as good as everyone said. Was he wearing oh, a the... suit four sizes too big, and also yeah, had rose all... fingernails? Al Pacino always looks like he got hit by, like, a very low-grade shrink ray. <laughs> like, in the suit. In a suit that was perfectly tailored. <laughs> a suit that was perfectly tailored before he shrank. <laughs> just oh, no! <laughs> my arm's a littler now! Oh, my God. That's so accurate. Yikes. And he kind of, like, shakes a bit as well when he like stands <laughs> and so it's like oh. billowing fabrics combined with shaking <laughs> what do you <laughs> do you think that like that's, is that al pacino's choice or does that just happen to be every single costume director that has worked with al pacino <laughs> Hey, so I was thinking maybe we could uh, cut the hem a little bit. No, no, no. We've got a thing. So here's your suit. This was once worn by uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. um, So it should be a perfect fit for you. This is your tie. Uh, We're going to leave it real loose so that it just kind of... It never seems like you know quite how to tie a tie either. Yeah. I definitely noticed that it, all of his tie knots were, like, mid-chest. Yeah. And it, like, the, the top button on the shirt. The top button on the shirt is never buttoned, which is fine. Like, that's okay. But, like, the way his shirts looked, it looks like the, they would never button. Like, like No. Like, it would, like, the hole for the button would have to be, like, halfway around his neck for it to, like, actually come together. <laughs> and he still look a like, like a, like a turtleneck. Like, he, like, not like a turtleneck, like the clothing, but his neck would look like a turtle's coming out right. of the top of his shirt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <Holy> God. shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to oh, be thinking boy. about that for the next few days. 
if it's literally his every or costume every designer. Al Pacino movie I see for the rest of my life. This is it's the only thing I'm going to be able to think of. I've been meaning to rewatch The Irishman, and I don't think it's that bad in The Irishman, but it might be. Like, <laughs> and they were, and for that one, they were like, okay, so like while you're de aging, if you could increase the size of all the clothing by about twenty percent, uh, just so that it always looks like he's kind of swimming in whatever material he's in. Um, so like, drop his age to about forty, and then drop his uh, or increase his suit size to about you know. 20% more. Just more. I like that take that, uh, you know, obviously, like, in 2002, when Insomnia was made, like, we didn't have that technology yet. So, like, this yeah. is just, like, again, either a costume designer or Al Pacino had some real real thoughts on this. But I like your stance in that in 2019, we're, we're just going to digitally resize the clothing that he wears. Yeah, it's digital billowing technology. <laughs> Uh, we have a technology now that can make a real billow effect that uh, is unmatchable. What if in, like, five years, like, if his clothes have just been getting bigger this whole time, he's in a movie and he's just, like, a sack of clothes? Have you guys seen Waco at all? No. no. Well, it's always windy in Waco, so everything is always blowing, like, horizontal. <laughs> <laughs> it's just with, like, 20 feet of fabric blowing behind him. <laughs> And all you see is his nose to his to the top of his head peeking over the shirt. It's like a wedding dress train, yeah. but it's just all his clothes. It's just, <laughs> it's just like it's just his, his suit, suit pants. coat. <laughs> he, he just <laughs> he just looks like a music video. God, it must have been so hard for him to swim in those enormous clothes. That. So there were some close-up oh, shots God. of his face underwater, and I couldn't tell if it was him, because I was like, surely Al Pacino would die if you <laughs> submerged him underwater, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, it had trapped. to have been a stunt double. Yeah. Oh, we should talk about that scene just a little bit more, because I... That was, like, my worst nightmare scene, is, like, an activity that I know I'm not going to be good at. <laughs> running fast over moving objects uh you, you know at like water at least twenty dollars to see you run over those logs twenty dollars what an undersell i would pay hundreds of dollars to Fair. watch matt do that you would have to pay my medical bills because like when he slipped through that hole I was like, oh, no, I would lose my mind if that happened to me. Uh, you know, you know, at water parks where they have those like nets and then the floating discs that you have to like yeah. shimmy on top of and oh, like, yeah. walk across. I would also pay hundreds of dollars to watch you do that. <laughs> and I'm, I believe my parents have video footage oh, of me God. trying to do that in Disney. Um, I'm so 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 bad at that at that activity as a child even as an adult i'm sure terrible at monkey bars especially terrible at angling my feet onto a slippery surface and then putting any weight on it to move to the next one what a nightmare that sequence was a true uh like a vision of what my worst fears would be uh in reality i wouldn't go quite that far like that wouldn't be like my personal nightmare but that sequence was really intense and like 
I mean, obviously, you know he's not going to die, but, like, the whole time you're just like, how the fuck does he get out of this? (laughs) Yeah. And then he ended up, like, swimming under all of them, which, like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. But I was just like, uh, that whole sequence was really claustrophobic, and I did not care for it. I did like the sound. I mean, like, it was well made, but... What? Oh, the, the sound was the so sound good was in really that really cool of the logs hitting each other. Yeah. And it was like... And deafening. just the water. Yeah. Yeah. Terrifying. Yeah, it was good. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, that scene was, was a scary one. Um, also, I've been on a Robin Williams marathon <clears throat> lately, and I didn't even plan it, but I've seen uh, Dead Poet Society and Goodwill Hunting, both which I hadn't seen before the past couple weeks, uh, and they're both so good, uh, but now I have three different robin williams uh all in quick succession and uh he's so versatile he's a juilliard trained actor he was roommates with uh the voice of batman the animated series kevin conroy who i found out this week is gay oh look at you hey hey there's a gay who played batman and it turns out the best batman that's it so i'm so happy my thesis is batman is gay I'll take questions off air. <laughs> that will be one of our <clears throat> special one-off pods. Yeah. Which is, it's you talking about Batman being gay. Your fan theory about Batman being gay. Yeah, and not like the Robin easy way. In the Kevin Conroy is the soul of Batman and thus Batman is gay way. Anyway, what are we talking about? Insomnia? It was yeah. good. Do we want to do tattoos and all that jazz? um yeah i don't there wasn't really anything else i had to say about the movie the one thing i guess two things one um last night and a lot recently i think just because of the pandemic i've been having a hard time sleeping uh and it hasn't been like nearly as bad as this movie but like i would i'll like go to bed and then i'll just like toss and turn for like an hour and that happened to me last night and i was like so to speaking of Matt's personal nightmare of running on logs and falling under them, my personal nightmare would be staying awake for yes six straight days. <laughs> like, uh, I, was, I can't I get st- annoyed. I can't do less than eight hours. Realistically, yeah. nine. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was like, I get so angry when I am like in bed and it's dark and I can't fall asleep that I can't imagine doing that for eight hours at a time seven or six or seven days in a row it sounds like a fucking hellscape (laughs) i'm out i'm so glad you brought this up yeah oh i think most people would go insane i would Um, just fall asleep i mean i used to fall asleep at your (laughs) halloween parties that's true (laughs) in the middle of the party i i would just fully fall asleep immediately at work yeah. at my desk <laughs> for eight hours yeah i went to bed at 3 a.m the night before i watched this movie and i woke up at eight the next morning and as i was watching this movie i felt as tired as al pacino looked and i was like oh this is really hitting in a different way when i feel like i'm also going crazy because yeah. i'm so tired i felt um, that so way maybe too. that's why it hit but I went to bed at one fifteen and woke up at 10. <laughs> you really love your sleep. God bless you, girl. <laughs> if I got as much sleep as you, I would probably, like, do as much work as you do. Like, be as motivated uh, as you, and I'm not, so. 
keep sleeping. <laughs> I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, the other thing, uh, in in addition to the lack of sleep, the I like the <clears throat> going back a little bit to the um, like the like the light, like the always dayness of this movie, um, which is, I think is another really interesting way of keeping you disoriented i think like the either one of those would be sufficient in and like if the character were if it was just like only daylight you know like this entire thing was always daylight that'd be like a really disorienting thing and if it was like you know normal hours of light and darkness but this guy just couldn't sleep that would be really disorienting but like adding them both together is just like a one-two punch of like holy Mm -hmm. shit um But it reminded me a lot of uh, Midsommar in that way, where it's just, like, it's always very bright and very lit. Um, another so lit. movie that so lit. It, it really is lit. <laughs> it's like a festival. It's lit. This one reminded me of a, of a better movie uh, from 2019. <laughs> but um, but I, I think, like, that was another, like, really effective tool that they used in this movie um, to kind of keep that, like, sense of unease and... Um, unmooring uh throughout the movie which i i did like but yeah i think like it was a good movie it's a very well-made movie um i'm i'm just i'm very glad that like you know we kind of mentioned this nolan ended up going another way because i think he like at any given day he's probably my favorite director and i think if if his stuff would have ended up going all this way i would obviously not feel that way at all yeah anyway the end. Um, tattoo ideas. Oh, I have one more thing, and it's very, very quick. Okay. okay. Portland Portland gets a shout-out. It did does. Did you hear Portland? I did, Portland yeah. got a shout-out. And I was like, you're going to make it more specific, and it's Portland, Oregon? And then they didn't, and I was like, I'm just going to assume it was Portland, Oregon you were talking about. <laughs> um, but it was a murderer who was talking about it, so maybe not a great shout-out, but that's all. <laughs> the end. <laughs> the end. That's all my notes. Um... Uh, the I think the nine millimeter shell casing would be mm-hmm. an interesting one. Um, also, we didn't talk about uh, Hillary Swank. Real quick, what a weird career she's had. Yeah, I thought she was pretty good in this movie. Um, she's I think good so in too. Everything. Uh, she's been in a lot of really bad movies. Um, oh, <laughs> the core is very good. She's won two Academy Awards for acting. Uh, but then also was in movies like The Core and um, Black Dahlia. There was another one that I remember seeing in high school, and I was just like, what the fuck? Like, this is an Academy Award-winning actress. What is happening? It's like uh, a real, like, uh, Eddie Redmayne, Jupiter Ascending situation. But anyway, um, I thought she was good in this movie, and I thought that, like, like, the little, like, shell casing that she found would be an interesting one. Oh, oh yeah, thoughts. could get a log tattooed on your penis. We <laughs> <laughs> knew where it was going. We all knew where it was going. I, was I thought you like, guys were going to stop me. Oh, why no. would no? <laughs> if you if you want to start, no. <laughs> if you want to start, you gotta finish. We're always gonna let you finish. You could get a little stick figure and then have him surrounded by a parachute of clothing. 
<laughs> I mean, I think that's the real winner. Although that's not necessarily like tied to this movie. Next to him. <laughs> <laughs> that's more just like, like that's not an insomnia tattoo. That's just like an Al Pacino tattoo, and I'm not about that life. I'm definitely not about that life. But I like where your head's at. <laughs> you could get Holy eyeballs shit. tattooed on your eyelids, so it looks like you're never sleeping. <laughs> just always oh my awake. God. <laughs> Actually, I like that. I think that's the winner this time around. <laughs> uh, I think we've already. God, that's frightening. <laughs> I think we've already discussed uh, whether we'd want to live on the set. I said yes. Matt seems like a hard no. <laughs> Fuck no. Hard, inescapable no. I would never. Even for a thousand dollars, you wouldn't run across that log, log thing. Not. No, because I would die. One hundred percent, I would die. <laughs> what if we? What if we made it so that there was like a scuba diver under the water? No, and they were ready to like hook you up with like they were. They had like a separate breathing apparatus just ready for you. So like if when you fall in, uh, they'll be able to like save your life so you don't die. Would you do tell you another dollars? Let me tell you another quick Disney uh, Disney World story. <laughs> yes. um, at Typhoon Lagoon, they have a shark reef. In which it's a saltwater tank that is huge, um, that has sharks swimming down below, and you scuba dive, or you, not even scuba dive, you just snorkel, snorkel on the surface above them, and you just paddle. You're in a you're in a vest. You got a snorkel. You just paddle on the surface and get to the other side. <laughs> I freaked out. Both the mix of the cold salt water and having to. Being told you have to keep the snorkel above water or you'll suck in the water and you'll drown. <laughs> With the visual heights that it made it look like I was so far above the floor and that there was enough room that sharks could be underneath me, uh, crippled my brain and I started flailing and started swallowing salt water and a scuba dive, like a person, a lifeguard had to pull me from one end to the other, like just finish the trip for me because I couldn't handle it. So let's just keep that in mind about asking me to run across moving logs in ice water and potentially getting stuck underneath them. That's a no-go for me. For $1,000, for a million dollars, my life is more important. I would do it for like 10. But on (laughs) on the flip side... I was a swimmer, so I'm used to holding my breath for long periods of time underwater. I a snorkel would make it way easier because I'm you would use those for swimming as well. And the YMCA by my house growing up, I'd go there for birthday parties, and they had was this it the thing. 375th Street Y? Yeah, it was actually. How'd you know? Uh, <laughs> just, what they, just a guess. They had a bridge going across the pool of of a lo- like a like a toy log. And you'd have to walk along the log, and it would be so much fun when you get it spinning, and you have to, like, sprint to keep on. (laughs) It was really fun. (laughs) I was pretty good at it. And that was one log, going lengthwise. If you're going across them, it's way easier. Yeah, you wouldn't wouldn't Pacino that run. (laughs) Pacino. (laughs) I would if I was wearing my a wedding dress with a long, long trail. 
<laughs> and shoes, you know that those shoes are at least three sizes too big oh, for him. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> anyway. Oh my goodness. Uh, yeah. Um, I think we're, those were the only categories, right? Just those uh, two. Oscars. Oh sh- yeah. So this one didn't oh, get nominated for anything, yeah. uh, which feels right, honestly. The only <laughs> thing that I could, <laughs> the only thing that I could, I could make an argument for would be cinematography, because I do yeah. think there were a lot of really beautiful shots in that movie. Um, so I think I, you, I could make the argument there, and I wouldn't be too mad about it. Uh, nominated that year were Road to Perdition, which won Chicago, Far From Heaven, Gangs of New York, and The Pianist. The what? Yeah. I haven't seen enough of... <laughs> the Penis, Tierney. The movie The Penis, starring Adrian Brody. <laughs> it's a great movie. Uh, Gangs of New York is also pretty good. Uh, yeah. I would say that I think it is would also qualify for best costume design <laughs> especially for the prosthetic add- hands <laughs> when you added the prosthetic fingernails i thought you were saying best costume design for inventing a new type of costume which is <laughs> looking like you've been hit with a low-grade shrink ray <laughs> oh my god Jesus. I'm going to be laughing about this for a good while. <laughs> Anytime I see Al Pacino, I'm just going to think he's been shrunk. I'm so sorry, Mr. Pacino. The uh, the ray went off and we weren't planning on it. Uh, it seems that you've been hit with the rays uh, causing you to shrink just slightly enough that uh, all your all your clothes is going to look just a little bit too big for you. Why but not he- like... So big that you need to buy a whole new wardrobe, <laughs> you know. Like, just you're probably fine with what you got. It's just gonna look a little baggy on you. But <laughs> why wasn't he cast in downsizing, or at least at a cameo of like a shrink that went wrong? <laughs> I forgot that movie existed, so thank you for reminding me. Oh my god, <clears throat> honey, I, I mean, shrunk in that movie. <laughs> They they in in downsizing they figured out how to effectively shrink all of your clothing as well so mm-hmm. that's probably why they were like now nah, we're out on Pacino here <laughs> he's got he's got a very specific thing and that's not this movie we've yeah. our technology has improved since the first time we tried shrinking people <laughs> <laughs> he was an early prototype yeah oh evidence of it, of the bad versions. <laughs> Oh, oh, um, any other uh, Oscar takes, serious or not? No. No. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that feels right. It's not sound editing with those the sound of the the logs. Nah. It's not <laughs> worthy of an Oscar. No. Our tweet I mean, it was up against. Worthy of an could've... Oscar, but that's not. <laughs> All right. Yeah, that seems fair. Honestly. Um. So yeah, I think that that. That about does it for uh, for this round. Um, Matt, what have you been up to this week? Oh, um, I watched Middle Distance Shorts, uh, which was very funny. Did you watch um, all three? I did. Okay. Um, and I had seen them live when they came to Portland. Um, and so it was nice just to see that that is their routine. Like, Middle Ditch is a wild card and uh, often introduces things or forgets names uh, 
and doesn't really follow through. And Schwartz is the one that's like very cerebral and constantly like trying to figure out how to justify the crazy choices of Middleditch. So that's been very fun to watch. Um, and oh, I watched uh, the fourth episode of Better Call Saul last night. Oh, <gasps> yes. Oh, my God. I've been waiting for you to watch this show for literally years. This is everything I've wanted. Yeah, so far I'm bored, so I'm going to stick with it until <laughs> yep. it gets good. Yep, 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 yep. Uh, that is very accurate depiction of how... like it, It's a very different show than better or than uh, Breaking Bad. But I think it's it's very, very good in a very different way. Um, and it, it, never, it never becomes... Or at least so far, uh, it never quite becomes Breaking Bad. Um, but I think this this fifth season, the one that just ended this year, was phenomenal. And like, I think you could put the fifth season of Better Call Saul up against any season of Breaking Bad, and it would at least hold its own, if not be better. Huh. Okay. So I would I keep de- watching. Yeah, definitely stick with it. But it just know that it, it is a very different show, <clears throat> and it will never be the other show. Good. Good to so. know. And did, did I say that I've been watching World's Most Extraordinary Homes in the last episode? No, no. but you texted us this week. Oh, we said, yeah. Save uh, it for the yeah. pod, Matt. Matt. Yep, I'm obsessed with World's Most Extraordinary Homes. Uh, it's just looking at pretty homes. There's four packed in every episode, so you really get your money's worth. Uh, it's on Netflix, and it's been great to just, like, tune out and watch while doing other stuff, because you don't need to listen that closely. It sounds great. Yeah. It's great. Right on. That's uh, all. I, I finished a book that I started uh, <gasps> when quarantine happened. This is the, the, I was talking to some friends. I think I usually read about three books a year. So this was number one for me this year. Ow, ow. <laughs> um, it's called Station Eleven. Have I talked to you guys about it? No. Nah. So it came out, I think, in like 2014. Um, and I started reading it like right when quarantine happened because I'm the type of person who like when this type of stuff goes down, I'm like drive into the skid with it. Um, so this book, I was told that this book, uh, was about a pandemic that wipes out like 98% of the world's population. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, okay, I mean, to give some further context, literally within a week of this like COVID thing becoming a thing, I had watched Contagion twice. <laughs> so like I'm, Maybe this like, is why you can't sleep, Colin. Yeah, what's wrong with you? <laughs> you I've avoided contagion. Yeah. Um but anyway, so like I when this whole thing started, I was like, oh hell yeah, I'll finally read that book that I've heard about. And within like the first like the, the like the second so it's divided into sections i think the second section it already like jumps forward 20 years after the pandemic and i was like oh well this isn't what i wanted <laughs> and so i like stopped reading it for a while <laughs> but i eventually yeah. ended up picking it back up and it's really good um it 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 does kind of include it's it's kind of told non-linearly um so like there are parts of it that do kind of bring back in the pandemic and everything and there's like a bunch of different characters, but it's really fascinating. Um, the like world building in like 
especially like kind of putting it into our current context like obviously covid is not good but it's not nearly as bad as whatever the hell like the georgian flu i think is what it is called in station 11 um but it's really fascinating to to see how like their world fully collapsed and how, how our world is like not fully collapsing but like there are pieces of it that are fairly similar um so yeah it was a really interesting read uh, I would recommend it. It's not nearly as bad nope. as it sounds. Nope. <laughs> nope. Yeah, I'm going to take a hard pass on that until <laughs> everyone I know and love is safe from uh, any pandemic. I watched but The Road. I read The Road in uh, February, and I have been following coronavirus since the beginning of January, and I was right. like, oh, boy, this is bad. We are going to have disease everywhere. Society's going to shut down. And then it kind of <laughs> happened. Yeah. Uh, I, I would say this was like a very – so the main character of this book um, in the like the post-pandemic world uh, is this woman who – they like she's in a traveling symphony and literally like because there's no like electricity or gas or anything they literally just walk everywhere um and it's kind of set in like the um great lakes area and so she's like part of this group that literally just walks from town to town and they like perform shakespeare and like some nights they just like put on like a like an orchestral performance and so like it's very sweet thinking of like oh like that aspect of society has has remained and like they're trying to like keep that going so like there are parts of it that are like oh this is too close to home but like a vast majority of the book is not that which again is kind of why i stopped reading it in the first place but i'm glad i picked it back up because it ended up being a really worthwhile read nice that's it uh what have i done this week i didn't realize (laughs) that all of normal people had been released on hulu i thought it was just the one episode so i Watched all of those. Uh, it, I feel the same way. Having, I think the show is better than the book, but I feel the same way after watching the show that I felt after reading the book, uh, which is frustrated. <laughs> oh, interesting. <laughs> well, just because it's two people who aren't, they don't communicate what they feel, and so they don't get what they want. <laughs> anyway, oh, that's very also, that checks out because <laughs> Irish. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then the show that I have gotten super into, I'm like pacing myself to like savor it all. It's uh, I'm probably gonna butcher the name, but it's Giri Haji, which oh, is yeah, yeah. shame uh, in Japanese, and it's on Netflix. And it is uh, I don't know who makes it, but it, the production quality of the show is like top notch. I have not seen a crime. I've not seen a drama, period, this good since Broadchurch. Uh, and it's, like, also, like, very, uh, I don't know, different. Like, I feel like most of the things I've seen um, that take place in Japan have been, like, uh, like a historical piece where they're a samurai. Or, like, it is the backdrop for another story where it's not really part of the story like i'm thinking lost in translation that could literally Mm -hmm. take place anywhere um but this is like i don't know it like dives into like tokyo and it is like very cool everything's super cool looking and like the production quality is great and like it's interwoven with like shit going on in london and there's also like crime and it's like 
just so great. I really love it. I hope it's not terrible uh, the last few episodes because I'm <laughs> loving it so far. I will um, say I've heard very good things about that show from like I've, a lot of the TV critics that I follow. So I, I mean, I, <clears throat> I do want to watch it at some point. So I haven't been like reading what they've been saying. I've just kind of been like skimming. Mm-hmm. Um, but from what I've gathered, I think it ended very well. So I, I don't think you should be too concerned. It's just it's very different than I feel like most crime shows are. Or like, sure. uh, I, I feel like it's more cerebral, which is what I like. And the production quality is great. The main character, like the performances are all really good. Um, and I am just thoroughly enjoying it. Uh, oh, it's got Kelly McDonald in it. I thought it yeah. was an all Japanese cast. I did not no. realize. Because some, some of it takes place in London. So you have like British oh. people as well. Um, Interesting. She's actually why I first, because I, I love her. And so I was like, yeah. I'm going to see what this show is. And then I read about it. And I was like, oh, this seems super cool. And then I started watching it. And I was like, this is super cool. Like, I was 10 <laughs> minutes in and was like, this is my new favorite show. <laughs> Ooh, bless. Uh, bless. And the writing is really good, too. So that's all I have to say about that. I'll check it out. Doss it. All right. Well, uh, this has been fun. Um never going to think about Al Pacino the same way again. So God bless both of you for, for, for bringing that into my lives. And you're welcome for everybody who hears that for, for uh, us introducing that to your lives. So. <laughs> All right. I'm finished. <laughs>